For two quarters, the Seahawks looked game to pull an upset at Levi Stadium against the 49ers in the wildcard round. Unfortunately, it was not meant to be. I'm going to be breaking down Seattle's season-ending playoff loss on our final postcast of the 2022 season here on Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for the Locked On Seahawks podcast. As always, a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Ireland, you're listening in Mexico or nearby in Renton. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Unfortunately, the Seahawks were not able to hang on at Levi Stadium for three quarters. A very competitive game actually had the lead over the 49ers at the half, but then San Francisco's talent took over in the final quarter of action, pulling away with 25 unanswered points. The Seahawks were not able to rebound at all in the final quarter. I'm going to be diving into some key storylines, of course, handing out my final game balls of the season and playing some three up, three down. Our final postcast here of the 2022 season, what has been quite a ride for the Seahawks. So without further ado, let's get to it. Heading into Saturday, Pete Carroll had not lost a playoff game as coach of the Seahawks when his team had a lead at halftime. But unfortunately, all great streaks come to an end eventually, and Pete Carroll now has a blemish on his record with a lead at halftime in the postseason. And in fact, it's not even a close one. The Seahawks for three quarters were very competitive against the 49ers this afternoon, had a 17-16 lead at the half. And then after three, they were just down six. But at that point, a huge mistake by Geno Smith, a strip sack in the red zone. That ended up being the domino that really broke the back for the Seahawks, and the 49ers rattled off, again, 25 unanswered points. The Seahawks were not able to overcome that against a team that, quite frankly, just is better in all facets of the game. Looks like the 49ers are going to be right in the thick of things to win a Super Bowl this season. This game started out exactly how the Seahawks wanted it to, and really, actually, you could say it didn't. They, they started down 10 nothing, but the resiliency that we have seen from this year's Seahawks squad, as much as any team Pete Carroll's coached, the resiliency of this group was on display again, taking a 10-0 deficit and then erasing that up 14-13. Geno Smith started off red hot. Not the most productive day yards-wise for him, but 9 for 10, 104 yards at a 50-yard touchdown to DK Metcalf that gave the Seahawks a one-point lead. And meanwhile, for the defense on the other side of the ball, going up against a 49er squad that is loaded with talent, they were able to hold them to two field goals on three red zone trips in the first half. And ultimately, a Jason Myers 56-yard field goal gave him the lead, a knuckleheaded penalty on safety. Jimmy Ward against Geno Smith gifted them that opportunity. And Jason Myers, building off of his first team, all-pro selection from his peers on the NFLPA's all-pro list this week, showed why. He was getting that kind of respect from other kickers around the league by splitting the uprights. And again, the Seahawks going to the half. They're up one. Everything seems to be going the way they wanted it to. They were four for seven on third down. They had 82 rushing yards in the first half. Ken Walker, the third, leading the way. He scored a touchdown. That's his 10th of his rookie season, first in the playoffs. 
the offensive line was protecting Geno Smith. Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross didn't give up a single quarterback hit today. So it was a huge stepping stone on the offensive side of the ball after the two regular season matchups between teams. The Seahawks were not able to really do anything. Had one touchdown on 20 possessions in those two regular season games on offense. They were able to turn the tide in this one, get two touchdowns in the first half. They get the late field goal. They have the lead at the half. And even the third quarter, they give up that touchdown to the 49ers, but the Seahawks march right back down. They get a 25-yard reception from DK Metcalf, and suddenly they're in business past midfield. They drive down inside the 20, and then penalties start to hit. A questionable illegal man downfield penalty on Damian Lewis, one that players were speaking out against after the game. Two plays after that, Geno Smith gets hit by Charles Amenahue, punches the football out. Nick Bosa recovers, and the Seahawks just simply could not overcome that. That seemed to be the wind taken out of their sails, and they just didn't respond to that. The 49ers, they were angry at the second half. This was a team that was getting put on the brink by the Seahawks, a team they had handled easily in the regular season. And so there was pressure on them. There was no pressure on the Seahawks, but championship teams rise to the occasion. And Seattle simply made too many mistakes down the stretch for them to have a chance to win this football game. And it's unfortunate. Again, you look at the way that this played out. It was 23-17 at the end of the third quarter. This is a six-point game. If they could have even gotten a field goal in the possession that Geno Smith fumbled on, three-point game, who knows how things end up playing out, but ultimately the defense just wasn't able to get the stops that they needed to overcome that deadly mistake that happened in the third quarter with Geno Smith fumbling, Nick Bosa recovering, the Seahawks giving up 505 yards of total offense to the 49ers, those 25 unanswered points. One-point lead turns into a 41-17 deficit, really in a blink of an eye, and it's the type of implosion that – it is difficult for players to talk about. And after the game, you could sense the emotion. And there were certainly some tears shed in the locker room about how abrupt this was in a game that, as Pete Carroll lamented about, they had the opportunities. This was really a very competitive game. And the Seahawks looked very much the part of a playoff team for three quarters. But again, you go back to the regular season games where they had critical turnovers, the DJ Dallas interception on a trick play in the first matchup. Travis Homer's fumble, Quadrated Diggs' dropped interception in the second matchup. This is a team, the 49ers, that you have to play a near-perfect game against because of all the talent they have on offense. They can beat you in so many different ways. They can run the ball down your throat. They can run outside, which they certainly did with Christian McCaffrey on a 68-yard run in the first half. They have receivers. They can break tackles. They're the best team in the league at creating yards after the catch for a reason. Debo Samuel, I think, broke 80 tackles in this game today. George Kittle did plenty of damage. This is just a really well-rounded, well-coached football team, and they're not going to beat themselves typically. And so when you're an underdog like the Seahawks, you just can't have the mistakes that they had there. You get the fumble, and then Geno Smith's trying to force the issue when they're down two touchdowns the next possession, trying to get the ball downfield, gets intercepted. You take those two mistakes out of the equation. I thought Geno Smith played a really good game today, but those mistakes were critical in a game where they just couldn't afford to have any mishaps, and the 49ers capitalized on it with an offense that could not be stopped. The Seahawks couldn't tackle, busted coverages, you name it. 
really was a microcosm of their season. They were able to compete, but not able to get the job done against a superior 49ers team. And with that, they'll end the season with a 9-9 and record, losing in the first round of the playoffs. Still a very successful campaign, and now they're going to be heading into an intriguing offseason. There's some uncertainty at quarterback, even if Geno Smith today said he wants to finish his career in Seattle, and it sounds like the Seahawks are very interested in at least re-signing him for a short-term deal. He's going into free agency. they got a number of the decisions they're going to have to make, and we're going to have plenty of time to break all those things down as the offseason begins. And Plenty of moves will be coming up with future contracts as well. But for now, certainly a successful season, a better one than most anticipated. It's going to be difficult to let go of this game for a while because they had their opportunities at the same time. The future is very bright for this young team that – vastly exceeded expectations that most people had for them going into this season. Coming up next, my final game balls of the season on offense, defense, and special teams. A pretty easy pick on offense, defense, not so much, and special teams got an old standby that's going to be getting another award coming up next here on our final postcast for the 2022 season on Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. As you get rolling into the new year, you need the right people on your team to help your small business click on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. As a former site manager, I've made plenty of hires over the years, and LinkedIn has always been a go-to for me to find top candidates in sports media, create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. And LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the weekly postcast edition of Locked on Seahawks, the final one, unfortunately, of the 2022 season. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by first-time listeners and our regular listeners. If you listen to Locked on Seahawks five days a week, we greatly appreciate it. Newcomers, hopefully this show will lead you to listen to more as we go into the offseason. There will be plenty to talk about with the Seahawks having a bunch of draft picks and some cap space to try to further improve their roster after a surprising season where they made the postseason. Unfortunately, it's one and done for the Seahawks in the playoffs, losing to the 49ers 41-23. to Unlike some of the games we saw earlier this year where the Seahawks were able to hang tight and it felt like it was uh, a further distance on the scoreboard than we saw, for example, the 49ers with that win in Week 15. It was an eight-point win, but it didn't feel like it was that close. This is one of those games that was really the opposite. Even though the 49ers ended up running away with it, making it look like a blowout in the fourth quarter, for three quarters this was a very competitive game. The Seahawks absolutely had a chance to win and just made too many critical mistakes down the stretch. Let's get to our game balls, and we've got to give credit on offense where it's due because DK Metcalf – the last couple of weeks, he had three receiving yards against the New York Jets when they won in week 17, had a fairly quiet game against Jalen Ramsey and the Rams in the season finale, two passes that were thrown his direction ended up being intercepted by Ramsey. It just seemed like he and Geno Smith were not on the same page. He was struggling with penalties, could have been hit with a personal foul penalty at the end of that Rams game and officials did not throw the flag. 
So his emotions have been difficult to keep in check. The production hasn't been there. But when the playoffs come around, playoff DK Metcalf is a whole different animal. 10 receptions, 136 yards, and two touchdowns. Clearly the MVP for the Seahawks in this football game. And he got started right away. Geno Smith was looking for him early. And this was a matchup against Javarius Ward that Ward had dominated in the two previous matchups. DK Metcalf had decent numbers, but didn't have any big plays down the field. That change in this game, when Seattle was down 13-7, DK Metcalf catches a 50-yard touchdown, got the separation on Javarius Ward, had a few steps on him, as he said after the game in his press conference, that was something that Geno Smith told him going into the game, that that was going to be something he was looking for against the 49ers if the opportunity presented itself. He wanted to get the ball downfield. Smith makes a perfect throw, and DK Metcalf finished with almost 80 receiving yards in the first half alone. Then in the second half, he had a big 25-yard catch. There was another third and 20. 12 conversion that went for 13 yards. That was a few plays before Geno Smith's unfortunate fumble in the red zone. So Metcalf was his go-to guy, put up big numbers, ties Tyler Lockett for the fifth most receiving yards in a playoff game in Seahawks history. And oh, by the way, his 50-yard touchdown reception was the third that he has had in the playoffs in just four playoff games. And that tied him for the second most in NFL history with Randy Moss. So he's an elite company, clearly brings his game to a different level in the playoffs. It's unfortunate we don't get to see him continue playing here in January with another postseason game, but certainly a positive note for him. A strong season, but there were some games where it didn't seem like he was quite the factor the Seahawks expected, but this is something he can build off of. He and Geno Smith building chemistry, a fantastic performance from number 14 today. You can make an argument one of the three best players in the field of 49ers obviously had their their superstars making big plays too, but Metcalf was clearly the MVP for the Seahawks with a fantastic performance. Meanwhile, on defense, and this has happened a few times this year because the Seahawks defense has more times than not underwhelmed. They have had their issues stopping the run, giving up explosives. Today, that was a real problem. They gave up 13 explosives in the game. So that's 12-yard runs or 16-yard passes. 13 of them in the game. They had six in the first half, seven of them in the second half. Didn't get much of a pass rush going. It's really hard to find positives on that side of the football. A lot of guys racked up stats, but that's because the 49ers ran a ton of plays and had 505 yards of offense. With that being said, we can't go without giving a defensive player the game ball. And I did think that there was one player that quietly had a solid game in the secondary, and that was Mike Jackson. Five tackles, and really the reason that he ends up making this list most of the big pass plays that the Seahawks gave up in this game, unfortunately, were to the other side. Tariq Woolen had maybe his worst game as a pro for the Seahawks today. Brandon Ayuk, in particular, was giving him problems in coverage. But when Mike Jackson was on the other side and Brock Purdy tried to test him, he had a really nice pass breakup in the end zone to knock away a potential touchdown from Debo Samuel. He came up and made a couple of decent tackles. There were some missed tackles on the field, but I think every player on the Seahawks defense missed at least one or two tackles in this game. 
probably just on Debo Samuel alone. They had a lot of issues getting the 49ers sealed players down to the ground. But overall, Mike Jackson, a really solid finish to his season, had one of their best plays, if not the best play in the day, taking away that touchdown to Debo Samuel when he looked to have a step on him. He recovered, got his long arms up, and knocked the football away. It was actually a pretty good throw by Brock Purdy as well. Even better defense, though, from Mike Jackson. So his first time getting a game ball this year, he's been really good. A few other games this season, but a nice stepping stone for him. I would expect he and Trey Brown, maybe an incoming rookie as well, to compete for that starting job at the other corner spot across from Woolen. This is a nice momentum builder for him going into next season. Really a pretty solid first season as a starter for Mike Jackson. And he was one of the rare standouts on defense in the day where there was a lot more bad plays than good plays against a really dynamic, well-coached 49ers offense. Good for Mike Jackson to finish the season on a strong note. And on special teams, it should be no surprise. But Jason Myers, we've got to give the MVP of Seattle special teams this will be his eighth game ball of the season. And when you make 35 out of 38 field goals on the year and you are perfect seven for seven from 50 plus yards, you deserve to get plenty of game balls. And today, what Myers did might have been the most impressive thing that he has done all season. Again, just to kind of set this for those that weren't watching the game closely, the Seahawks actually had an interesting sequence at the end of the first half. They had the football and they seemed to wave the white flag at back-to-back -back runs and ended up punting the football. The 49ers then went down and got a field goal with 13 seconds to go in the half to go back up 16 to 14. I expected that they were going to go into the locker and the Seahawks would after they took a knee, but they decided to run a play. Geno Smith runs the football, scrambling, slides, and then gets hit by Jimmy Ward. They end up flagging him for unnecessary roughness. It, again, was a knucklehead penalty, not something you would expect from the 49ers with how disciplined they normally are, especially Jimmy Ward. And that extra 15 yards put Jason Myers in position for a 56-yard field goal. He ended up nailing it right down the middle. That ties the longest field goal ever made at Levi Stadium. And consider the weather today. It actually ended up being pretty sunny in the second half, which was different than the forecast. But in the first half, there was a decent wind out there. It had rained on and off during the first half. It rained almost all day yesterday and most of the morning. So even though the field was in pretty good shape because it had a tarp on it, still the elements this is already a difficult stadium to kick long field goals in. For him to go out and boot a 56-yarder and make it with ease, that was a clutch kick. And again, it put the Seahawks up going to the half. They were fired up. Everything seemed to be going their way. And unfortunately, that was going to be short-lived with the mistakes that they made. But Myers had a fantastic season. And really, he put an exclamation point on that all-pro selection from his peers. Finished third in the AP balloting. That might have been kind of a nudge. Hey, I should have been one of the first two spots because he had a fantastic season and went three for three on extra points today as well. So really the best year of Jason Myers' career, and they have every reason now to extend him. Just got to hope that his even odd year differences, maybe next year he can finally uh, buck that trend a little bit and have another really good season under a new contract for the Seahawks. But a fantastic performance from Jason Myers. Coming up next, going to get to our final three up, three down of the season. Our studs and duds from the wildcard round. Which players stood out and which ones ended the season on a somewhat sour note. Going to be looking at those six players coming up next for the Seahawks here on our weekly postcast of the Locked On Seahawks podcast.
This episode is brought your way by Alderman Football GM. I'm really geeked out about our new partner and sponsor today's episode, this mobile game, Alderman Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL general manager like John Schneider and managing your own football franchise, your dream can now come true. This game is definitely for you. You can manage every strategic aspect of your team playing through the season and leading your team to glory. You're responsible for everything from hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft, and all the ups and downs of a season. All of this comes in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is completely free. It's playable offline. You can play on the go as you want and when you want to. I'm currently managing managing the Honolulu Sharks and working on conducting a youth movement. The first season wasn't great. Second season, we're starting to make some progress, but not necessarily showing up in the win-loss column. I'm hoping to quickly rise back into contention, beating all the other locked-on hosts in our virtual league. It's a blast. Our listeners should join in on the fun in their own league. Locked-on Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when they use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's in all caps. Again, that's locked on in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. You can download the game by visiting ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the App Store. That's ultimate-gm.com, Ultimate Football GM. Start your dynasty today. You're listening to the weekly postcast edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by all the 12s out there that make Locked On Seahawks their first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast. They're bringing you the local insights you love to the national spotlight with daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories. Locked On NFL, it's available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. As we wind down the season, the Seahawks losing 41-23 to in the wildcard round, bringing the 2022 campaign to an end. It is time for one last three up, three down. If you're a new listener, pretty simple. Looking at our studs and duds here for the wildcard round. Which players shine for the Seahawks in defeat and which ones struggled ending the season on a rough note? Let's start with the positives, shall we? On the offensive side of the football, kicking off three up, three down. Let's start no further than the backfield with Ken Walker III. This 49ers run defense has been vicious all season. They were number one in the league for basically the entire year for yards allowed. They were number one in the league for yards per carry allowed. The Seahawks only ran the football 14 times in both of the regular season losses to the 49ers, in part because they couldn't do it successfully and they weren't able to sustain drives. But there were some flashes in the second half against the 49ers in week 15 with Ken Walker, the third back in the lineup. And in this game, he comes out, has a really nice touchdown run. He had a direct snap that he picked up a first down on that ended up setting up his touchdown run. Walker was really good in the first half when he didn't have a lot of room to operate. And I think maybe the biggest thing that I saw in today's game, and we've seen signs of this the last couple of weeks, but this is a kid that at times has been bounce happy or he's been too patient trying to wait for blocks to open up running lanes. And against a team like the 49ers, you got to take the yards that are there for you. And there were a couple of plays where he only picked up a couple of yards, but in earlier games, he probably would have tried to do too much and probably would have got tackled in the backfield. And that is a big win for the Seahawks. If he is able to be more disciplined as a runner, be more decisive, and not try to take quite as many home run shots, this kid has a ceiling as high as any running back in the NFL. And seeing what he did today, 
Certainly didn't have the best game of his season, but to rush for over 60 yards, average around four yards per carry against that defense, a defense that up until two weeks ago, they had seven games in a row that they had given up 70 or fewer rushing yards. I mean, that is an accomplishment. And this rushing offense was pretty solid for the Seahawks today. Not their best game, but Ken Walker the third. I think that's one of the more impressive and noteworthy performances from him in a stellar rookie season to cap things off against the best defense in the NFL. You can see the power. You can see him bull over Fred Warner on one play. You can see the quickness. You can see the explosiveness. He brought the entire package. He even had a really nice blitz pickup in this game as well, and that is an area where we've seen improvements from Ken Walker the third. So, Easy pick for three up in that regard. I'm going to stick with the rookies here. We're going to give a pair of rookies some love here. Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross. If you remember back in week 15, Nick Bosa and company absolutely tortured these two guys. The rookies had their worst games of the season. They combined giving up three sacks and seven quarterback hits. This rematch in the postseason, though, very encouraging. Now, it wasn't perfect. Charles Cross had two false starts in the second half. So that's something that he's going to be looking back on. Got to play with a little more discipline. It's tough in a road environment, though. Abraham Lucas coming back from his knee injury that he missed a game a few weeks ago. Had another really good game where he looked much healthier, was moving really well. Nick Bosa did not have a single quarterback hit in this game. That is a testament to how well. Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas play. They both had some nice blocks in the run game, too, to help Ken Walker III and company move the chains and, and have a pretty successful day running the football with all things considered. But I think the fact that there were just two quarterback hits the entire day and not one of them came from an edge rusher, that tells you all you need to know. This was a really impressive game. If you're looking for a silver lining for the Seahawks, I mean, the offense was better than it was in either one of the regular season matchups. And a big part of that. They did not like they did not let Nick Bosa not only take over the game, they really shut him down for most of the game. The pressure that got to Geno was coming from the interior. So I thought the tackles did an excellent job in this game and really did a good job keeping Geno Smith upright, helping Ken Walker, the third and company, find some running lanes, maybe not the best output yards and yards per carry wise, but this was a really good stepping stone for them to finish up their rookie season. The experience they get going against a player of Nick Bosa's caliber in the playoffs and to play this well, that's a big reason that Geno Smith was able to turn the corner and, and throw for over 250 yards and have a pair of touchdown passes. That does not happen if the tackles do not have the game that they did today. That was a very encouraging development for the future for the Seahawks coming out of this game as they go into their second season. And I mentioned it earlier. Had a really hard time picking defensive players for the defensive game ball. I'm going to carry that over in three up. I am not going to put a defensive player on our three up list. You give up 505 yards, you miss 9,000 tackles, and you give up 13 explosives. It's really difficult to find anybody that deserves to be on this list. I thought about Bruce Irvin, but the 68-yard run by Christian McCaffrey, I don't know what he was trying to do setting the edge there, and so I just couldn't quite pull the trigger there, even though he had a sack and did some good things in this game. I'm actually going to go on special teams to a player that I think has secured a contract for this next season and should be the Seahawks kick returner moving forward. Godwin Igwebuke, you could have looked a few weeks ago and thought, you know, it's, a good, it's one good game or two good games, but – all he has done since the Seahawks first started promoting him from the practice squad and then eventually moved him to the 53-man roster, all he has done is every single game 
it seems like he has at least one return that goes for 35 yards. They were not getting that kind of explosiveness, anywhere near that kind of explosiveness on their kick return, dating back to when Tyler Lockett gave up those duties. Ever since then, they have struggled to find somebody that can either stay healthy or provide that kind of juice back there. You can see the explosiveness, the 4-4 speed. You can see the vision. I think that's the thing that sets him apart from some of the other players they've had back there. He does a great job reading his blocks and setting them up and exploding through them, and he runs with physicality. He had a return today where he actually dragged a tackler a couple of yards, pushed the pile. You can see the safety background at Northwestern back in the day. He's a physical football player. I think Iguibuque has finally found a home in Seattle. He should be the kick returner next year. That made it already a really good special teams unit, even better down the stretch. Number 38 should be back there for the Seahawks. He and Jason Myers are both going to be free agents. Both of them should have new contracts so that the Seahawks can keep things rolling on special teams in 2023. Now let's get to our final three down. This was kind of the opposite here with three up. You're going to see a lot of defensive flavor. In fact, it's all going to be defensive flavor. Again, you give up that many yards and just the reasons why they had trouble with the 49ers today. This is a very talented 49ers offense, but the Seahawks did not do themselves any favors. They didn't execute. And I want to start with the pass rush. This has been a chronic problem against the San Francisco 49ers. They had just one sack in each of the two regular season games. They had one sack today and three quarterback hits. But I think what was most frustrating about today, and Pete Carroll talked about it in his post-game press conference, unlike the other two matchups, it did seem like the Seahawks were getting some pressure on Brock Purdy. And in the first half, he uncorked some bad throws. He looked frazzled. That was the first time that I've seen the rookie look like he was a little bit under the a little bit under the weather, I guess you could say, a little bit rattled, a little bit frazzled out there. He just didn't look like he was comfortable, and they were getting pressure on him. But they were only able to turn that into one sack, and that one sack by Bruce Irvin did lead to a field goal in the first half. And after that second half, Purdy got comfortable, and when they were chasing him around, which they did a lot, he did look like Fran Tarkenton out there. That was a really fun comparison by Pete Carroll, former Vikings quarterback that always extended plays, ran around. Russell Wilson was a comp for him uh, in his prime in Seattle. And Brock Purdy's not known for being an overly mobile quarterback and scrambling a lot, but he made a couple ridiculous plays where he got away from pass rushers for the Seahawks. And they were able to get pressure. They just couldn't do anything with it. They couldn't finish plays off. They let him get away. There was a touchdown that he threw to Elijah Mitchell that Mitchell was wide open after he ran around all over the backfield, and suddenly there wasn't anybody covering him. He did that a couple times. He should have had a touchdown to Brandon Ayuk late in the game, too, that was a perfect throw after he somehow got away from multiple pass rushers. So that is what's most frustrating. Is Seattle did get pressure on Brock Purdy. But they did not finish plays. They were not able to get him down. They weren't able to sack him. He became Mr. Elusive back there and then started uncorking some ridiculous throws after he extended plays. Really showed what kind of an improviser he is. And the Seahawks were already having trouble without that being added into the equation, not being able to get him down, even when there was some pressure bearing down on him. Purdy did a fantastic job of escaping and making plays afterwards. The Seahawks have got to figure out how to get a more consistent pass rush that can get quarterbacks to the ground. There's just too many games this year, especially the three games against the 49ers, where they were not able to get anything done. Going to the linebacker position, again, I usually like to pick individual players, but – 
unlike last week, you could tell that the Seahawks were missing Jordan Brooks. And I don't know that number 56 playing in this game changes the outcome. I'm not going to go that far because some of the things that the 49ers were doing, I don't know how much Jordan Brooks by himself is going to change that matter. But I can tell you one thing, he's a much better tackler than what we saw a lot of the tackling on the field for the Seahawks in this game. Tanner Muse and Cody Barton both had a pass breakup in the first half. And so there were some positives, but Barton got lost on Christian McCaffrey's three-yard touchdown reception, completely forgot that McCaffrey was there and didn't pick him up, wasn't defending anybody. There was another play where he tackled Tariq Woolen instead of Debo Samuel. So even though he has been much better in the second half, I thought this was a really rough performance for him against an offense that really took advantage of his weaknesses and attacked him. And Tanner Muse also missed several tackles in this game. It was the worst I've seen him play. A very tough matchup for him, though, with how physical the 49ers are, especially with their downhill running game. And so it clearly pointed to what many of us already knew linebacker especially with Jordan Brooks probably missing a chunk of next year coming back from an ACL injury that is a position of significant need they need to upgrade that position maybe Cody Barton is still going to be coming back uh, but they need to draft somebody or add somebody in free agency to uh, reinforce that position group as the 49ers were able to attack it and they threw a lot of crossers behind the linebackers too in coverage so really they exploited Seattle's inability to make plays in the linebacker position, both in the run and the passing game. And finishing up our three down, I hate to finish it with a player that had such a great rookie season and then turned in a dud today, but there's no question that this was Tariq Woolen's worst game. And give credit to Kyle Shanahan. He was scheming up all of his cover three beaters in this game. And I'm sure there were some throws that Tariq Woolen allowed that he thought he had support in the interior, and it turned out he didn't. There was nobody there to pick up the receiver. But on multiple occasions, Brandon Ayuk was able to get separation on him in coverage, including on a vertical downfield, and he gave up several catches in this game. We just haven't seen him get exposed like that at all this rookie season. And again, that's a credit to Kyle Shanahan. It's a credit to Brock Purdy. It's a credit to Brandon Ayuk, who I think gets lost in the shuffle with the weapons that the 49ers have. But he's a very good receiver with big playability in his own right. Had several explosive catches in this game. And they were all with Tariq Woolen, either trailing in coverage or behind him in coverage. It just, it just was not a good football game for him. And then you add in Debo Samuel's 74-yard touchdown catch in the fourth quarter, the backbreaker of all backbreakers. Woolen did not get off a block by Brandon Ayuk when he had several chances to do so. And so it just was not a pretty finish to the season. But that doesn't take away from everything that Tariq Woolen accomplished this year, getting all pro votes being a pro bowler, he's got an incredible future in front of him as he continues to learn the game, learn his position. Unfortunately, today, Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy got the better of him in this football game, and he just picked the wrong day to have an off day by his standards. And he'll be able to look at the film, and it's something that he can grow from, just like the rest of Seattle's rookie classes. Probably the worst game that he had this season, and it came at the worst of times. He gets an offense that's loaded with weapons, 
on the outside of the receiver position as well as in the backfield and running back. A lot of backs that can catch the football as well. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and we're streaming five days a week on YouTube. We're going to be transitioning into off-season mode in a few days, but we will have a chance to dish out our Monday musings, our final Monday musings of the season. I'll be rejoined by Rob Rang. We'll have some takeaways from this playoff loss. And we'll start to shift our gears heading towards the offseason with some free agency, some player grades, position grades, all kinds of fun stuff coming up as we move out of the 2022 season into the offseason. Hope you'll be joining us. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for your support all of the 2022 season. Go Hawks.